for Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, congregant settings like detention centers run by Immigration and Customs Enforcement are places where the coronavirus spreads easily. Nine people in custody have died due to COVID complications. Four of those people were actually at Stewart, and that's the most out of any detention center in the country. Roxanne Scott, who covers immigration for WABE, joins me to discuss what the pandemic has meant for ICE detention centers and to share the story of one man formerly detained at the Stewart Detention Center in South Georgia. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Four people have died of COVID-19 at the Stewart Detention Center in South Georgia, the most of any facility run by Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Crowding and lack of access to prevention measures like masks make these settings where people wait on immigration status hearings places where disease spreads easily. Roxanne Scott covers immigration for WABE and has been tracking how the pandemic has been playing out in ICE detention centers. She's with me now for more. Roxanne, thanks for talking with me. No problem, Sam. How did you first start hearing about how the pandemic was playing out in these ICE detention facilities? How did this kind of come to your attention? Just shortly after the lockdowns happened last March, I started hearing about on Twitter, social media, advocates would DM me and just talk about how difficult it was to be a person in ICE custody right now during the pandemic. And I heard a lot about the difficulty of social distancing in ICE custody if you're at a detention facility, lack of masks. So it was almost immediate. And it was through these advocates reaching out to you that you were actually able to speak with someone in one of these ICE detention facilities. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So this particular person came through El Refugio, El Refugio coordinates care for those in ICE custody at the Stewart Detention Center down in Lumpkin. And there was someone that was recently released. His name is Roberto. That's his middle name. He was more comfortable using his middle name because his immigration case is pending. And he was in ICE custody for, I'd say, about a little over a year, including about two months at the Stewart Detention Center. How is it, Roxanne, that people end up in these detention facilities in the first place? 
I'm going to use Roberto as an example. So Roberto came into ICE detention because he was actually imprisoned. He was in a prison in Georgia on a drug charge. So let me back up a bit. Roberto was actually a permanent resident, right? His family is from Honduras. He came to this country when he was nine years old about. And so he was actually a legal permanent resident. But because of this conviction of a drug charge, he was placed in prison. And that conviction actually put him at risk of losing his residency status, which he did. So, you know, sometimes there is a crime that you commit that can kind of take away your your residency status. And people are in detention because they are awaiting their immigration case. And there's there's other people that don't have criminal history, but their crime, quote unquote, is being in the country illegally. And so they are being held as well as they await their immigration case. What are these facilities like? I mean, I I think when I hear detention center, I think, oh, this is a prison, essentially. Is that what it's like actually inside? Would that be a kind of a good uh, analogy? I can tell you that people in custody um, and advocates describe it as a prison, even though it is a civil system. It's not a criminal system. um, People describe it as a prison um, with the segregation being detained in general, even though it is separate from the criminal justice system. Um, The way that I've had it described to me is that it functions almost parallel to the criminal justice system. You know, when I've spoken to people in custody, they, they describe their kind of living areas as pods. There are bunk beds. There are, you know, people in close proximity. I remember speaking to someone late last year that said it was impossible to social distance while while she was sleeping and she would actually put blankets up as a kind of barrier so she could protect herself from covid some of these living areas have yeah dozens of people in inside of them and so it makes it difficult to kind of actually social distance what did roberto tell you about being in one of these facilities during the pandemic i mean were there protections in place for folks how did they stay safe while this infectious disease was potentially spreading you know while he was at the stewart detention center roberto said that he did get masks but when he got them the amount he got was inconsistent and that kind of lines up with what i've heard from other people in detention that i've spoken to I mean, sometimes they did have. I ain't gonna lie. Sometimes they did have, but sometimes they didn't. They didn't have at all. Be like, oh, we're right now. And I'm like, you just gave five masks, and that's it. Roberto told me about his concern about just that there were so many people in in one place, and so what that means is that it's very difficult to social distance and. While he was at Stewart, the few months that he was there, he actually did contract COVID. I got sick. I started, my body started hurting. Like I couldn't breathe very well. Next thing you know, they did the COVID. And then they took me to segregation where I got more, I got worse. I couldn't breathe. Like I lost my sense of smell, sense of taste. My eyes were burning. My chest was hurting. My heart, I felt like I was going to get a heart attack. I was scared to even fall asleep. And eventually what happened is that he was placed in what he calls solitary confinement. And that was to separate him since he was symptomatic with COVID. He's now a risk to other people in detention. And so he was separated and he says that he was placed in solitary confinement. You're there by yourself 23 hours by yourself locked in. They only give you 10 minutes to 15 minutes in order for you to take a shower, uh, heat up something in the microwave quick. 
and then you go back in your in your in your cell and you stay there. They don't let you out. They used to let us out depending on the officer, twenty, thirty minutes sometimes, depending on the officer. And if they were mad or, or they were they were that they didn't want to do anything, they wouldn't even let you out. Sometimes we even have to argue with them to in order for them to uh, let you take a shower. Now, I asked an ICE spokesperson about, you know, rules around placing people in confinement or people who are at health risks. And they wouldn't comment, but they did direct me to a, a ICE document that says that people who are at medical risk are placed in administrative segregation. And the advocates and people in detention that I spoke to said, you know, there's really no difference between being in solitary confinement for disciplinary reasons or being um, segregated for medical reasons. Was he able to see a doctor at all? So he said that medical staff did check on him when he was in isolation. But I asked, you know, before you were even symptomatic with COVID, what if you maybe just wanted a COVID test? And he explained to me the process of just how long it would take to see a doctor. You know, you filled out paperwork, but sometimes you wouldn't see a doctor for weeks. I mean, it was practically almost impossible, too impossible, because they'll tell you, hey, you feel bad. Like the nurse will come and he will ask you, hey, are you feeling any symptoms? You tell him, yeah, I'm kind of feeling like my chest is hurting, my, <clears throat> you know, I feel my body's aching. Oh, and they'll tell you, just go fill out the sick call and just fill it out and turn it in, and as soon as possible, they'll call you. It would actually take probably a, a three weeks, four weeks, a month, and you probably won't even get called. And if you do get called, they just come and check your your blood pressure, and they'll put the little thing in your forehead, and that's it. So, Roxanne, what ultimately happens with Roberto? Well, he ultimately got released. He's from Florida, and so he's currently in Miami with his family getting by. But he still has COVID symptoms. I, I don't know if I want to say a long hauler, but I, you know, I checked in with him a few weeks ago. Um, I try to check in with him often. And he said that, you know, he still has trouble exercising. Sometimes going up the stairs is difficult for him and he's really fatigued. We've been focusing on one person's story. I can imagine that Roberto is not the only person in one of these ICE detention centers who has contracted the coronavirus. So do we know how many people in ICE custody have, say, gotten sick or have potentially died of, of COVID? So, you know, according to ICE data, nine people in custody have died due to COVID complications. Four of those people were actually at Stewart, and that's the most out of any detention center in the country. And so you can understand why people like Roberto and advocates are concerned about being detained at this time during the pandemic. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Roxanne Scott, who covers immigration for WABE. We're discussing how the pandemic has been playing out at ICE detention centers. If that is kind of the state of things, if people have died and if a number of those deaths have been in Georgia, what have you been hearing from advocates? What are they kind of calling for here? So they're calling, you know, even before the pandemic, they've been calling for um, ICE to release people in detention. And they say that it's more urgent now, um, now that there is a pandemic. They speak to the longstanding issues of medical neglect at detention centers, particularly in Georgia, advocates in Georgia. They speak to an inspector general report uh, about four years ago in 2017 that called out 
detention centers, including in Georgia, for their medical neglect and delayed medical attention to those in custody. And they say that that's just been exacerbated in the pandemic. What some advocates have done is that earlier this month, El Refugio, which is an organization that coordinates care for those detained at Stewart, released a report based on about 400 calls to their hotline. And those calls are about what people in detention were experiencing during the pandemic, the lack of social distancing, the lack of masks and lack of hand sanitizer. The, the report is also based on letters. Um, quite a few people in detention also wrote letters documenting their experience about how it is being in Stewart during the pandemic. So Kristen Collins is a researcher. She studies migration and she helped El Refugio with this report. We know that Solitary confinement is used arbitrarily, it's used inappropriately, um, and even if it's used um, within the bounds of the law, it's extremely cruel um, and can create and exacerbate mental health issues. Um, But in the COVID era, solitary confinement has been used as a a way of quarantining people and a way of treating, um, it's a a treatment method for COVID-19, which is extremely, extremely scary. Um, It's a reason why people don't report COVID. I would imagine that these are hard settings for people to be in in non-pandemic times and that people, it's probably a much scarier place to be in a pandemic, even though it's probably already a scary place to be anytime. Definitely. And Emilcar Valencia, he heads El Refugio. And he says that this is exactly what people in detention are feeling. They are feeling fear and they felt it since the beginning of the pandemic. Once visitation stopped for health reasons and COVID was declared a pandemic, that the fear started almost immediately. So the the, the fear is clear and an overall fear of dying in detention uh, when you have a facility that has a history of um, neglect and abuse. And, you know, on top of that, people who have died in this facility. That fear coincides with the fact that four people in ICE detention have died due to COVID. And so, Roxanne, what has ICE generally said about how they've handled the coronavirus in detention centers? I'm I'm sure that you've spoken with them in the course of this reporting. Yeah, you know, they've maintained that the health and safety of those in custody are a priority. They have released at least hundreds of people due to COVID. They reduced the population of facilities that they have to be 70 percent or less They've staggered meals and recreation time, and they do test people newly detained in ICE custody, and they are separated from the population for 14 days. Has ICE specifically commented on some of the concerns that advocates have, or maybe even particular details about Roberto's story? So ICE wouldn't comment specifically about Stewart Detention Center, and that those were most of my, my questions um, to them. But they have said that health is a priority for those in custody. Has the situation in these detention facilities changed all over the course of the pandemic? I'm thinking specifically with a new administration in the White House. Has the Biden administration handled the coronavirus, the pandemic in these detention centers any differently than, say, the Trump administration did? So the detention population has been the lowest it's been in decades. But it is, I will say it is going up. So just a few weeks ago, there were about 16,000, 17,000 people in detention. 
across the country, that number has now gone up to about 20,000. Um, it's still a low number compared to the Trump administration, but it is rising. And I'm also hearing from advocates that, you know, more people are actually being detained at, at Stewart. Now, I spoke to an ICE spokesperson and he would not give me the amount of people that are um, at Stewart. But advocates are saying that the population there is going up into the hundreds. And it's now it was traditionally a male facility. It's also holding women. I think ICE has been doing that since December. And um, I'll say that, you know, under the Trump administration, as far as enforcement, everyone was a priority. If you were caught, you could go to detention. Biden has been a little bit more selective about who could be arrested for being in the country illegally. I will also say that Biden has also ended contracts for private prisons, but he has not done that for ICE facilities. And a lot of advocates are asking him to do the same thing. And my understanding is that we've actually had the announcement that a detention facility in Georgia will close. Tell me a little bit about that. And, and does that have anything to do with the pandemic? So the Irwin County Detention Center in South Georgia, the Biden administration has ordered it to close as soon as possible. We don't have a timeline yet. The Biden administration ordered that facility along with another one in Massachusetts. And that doesn't have to do with covid this particular ICE detention facility, Irwin, came under a lot of scrutiny last year for the way that it treated women in its care, that women were receiving unconsented GYN care. It was under investigation, and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said that, you know, this is a step in revamping the country's immigration detention system. And so it didn't close particularly because of COVID, but it was under an investigation for medical neglect. And there was a whistleblower nurse named Dawn Wooten who kind of spoke out about this medical care that women were receiving. And she did include that along with all of this medical neglect and medical abuse, as it's described, that the facility was not abiding by COVID guidelines. As the pandemic really seems to be entering a different phase kind of in the general public for most of the country, what does it mean for people in these detention facilities? I can speak to, for example, there's another detention center, Folkestone. I found out that they have requested some doses of the Moderna vaccine. Um, and so one of the things that I'll be following up on is how many people are getting vaccinated? Um, when is that happening? And advocates are really hopeful about the fact that Irwin closed, but they are still pushing the Biden administration to end contracts with private corporations that run ICE facilities and hoping that other detention centers in Georgia and across the country close as well. It just seems like the stakes are a lot higher during a, during a pandemic. Definitely. And I, I think that's why they've been asking for people in custody to be released during this time. They've long called for this, but especially during a pandemic, you know, they say that there are other alternatives for people to wait while they are awaiting their immigration status case. They can, you know, wait at home with family and they're not cooped up, locked up in a detention center. There are organizations that do help and connect people formally detained to services that they may need, legal or or what have you. And so they really are looking for those in custody right now, particularly during this pandemic, to be released and for different alternatives 
while they wait their case, because ultimately they're waiting their immigration status. And a lot of people believe that they shouldn't be, quote unquote, locked up for that. Is it necessary in any situation to have these people detained like this? This system, maybe even not in a pandemic, is it necessary? Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people say, that it's it's not necessary. If the crime, quote unquote, is being here illegally, then why do people need to be locked up while they're waiting asylum, while they're waiting their hearing, while they're waiting whatever? They can do that at home and not be detained if their civil crime is just being in the country illegally. A lot of advocates say that it's just unnecessary. Roxanne Scott covers immigration for WABE. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, that might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.